Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi there. Welcome back. Okay. I'm going to start off with some audio here. This is about 12 minutes long, right out of the gate. And I came across this last week. It was on Dr. Mackis's Substack page. Again, normally I would leave sort of the jab talk for later in the episode, as you know, but I'm going to kind of kick it off here with this first. I think this is interesting because this connects to another subject that I've discussed in the past too, which has to do with the gatekeepers that exist. Now again, there are many of these gatekeepers. They have lots of different names, and you'll see them pop up in the usual spots, and they'll end up having the usual conversations. I frankly find this to be beyond suspicious, for a variety of reasons. Um, Again, these individuals are, are caught here between a rock and a hard place, I think, because in particular, some of these politicians like Ron DeSantis, which you'll hear from him in just a minute, but he himself, again, was on the wrong end of this. If you recall, back in the day, people were getting pulled over in their cars trying to travel from Florida to Georgia or Georgia to Florida or other states to Florida, and so on and so on. Um, again, they were being pulled over by highway patrol, and they were questioned, and, you know, where's your mask, and have you taken the shots, and blah, blah, blah. This was a thing. And now, as a result of all of the lies that have existed this entire time, these individuals are all working together, at least they want us to believe that, in order to, again, frame a new narrative to where they aren't to blame for anything. Now, this is long and complicated to some extent, I think, but at the same time, I think that there's very easy clues that we can look at that help us determine whether or not this whole gatekeeping thing is real or it isn't. Now, of course, we know that it's real. It's legit. You just have to look at what people are saying. Are they saying anything that's new? Are they repeating fallacies? And then, of course, who are they actually talking with and who are they talking to? And how do they cross-promote one another? Which, again, they do that with regularity. But let me give you another example. You're familiar with the work of Karen Kingston. Karen Kingston has been on this subject for a very long time. Again, a former Pfizer legal analyst, if I'm not mistaken. Again, same thing with Mike Yeadon. Dr. Mike Eden used to work for Pfizer. He was their former vice president and, uh, and chief medical researcher. So the question I have then is, is given their specified expertise, I would say, on not just the inner workings of the industry, but how this entire thing is in fact a depopulation agenda, why isn't it that the likes of a Tucker Carlson aren't talking to Dr. Mike Eden? Why is it that, say, Tucker Carlson aren't, or isn't rather, talking to Karen Kingston? Why isn't a Alex Jones talking to those two individuals, even though Alex Jones has had on Mike Eden in the past? But again, it's not just, it really isn't just the conversations that they have back and forth and the people that they're talking to. It is, it is also the words that they use. And you're going to hear it throughout this entire 12 minutes here. This 12 minute piece of audio contains a number of different individuals, and you'll be able to figure out who they are. You have Brett Weinstein, you have Dr. Latipo, the the, uh, Surgeon General of of the state of Florida. He's sitting right next to Ron DeSantis and a number of other individuals. Again, 
they're misusing all of these made up terms. There is no COVID. There was no pandemic. These are the things that people have got to get into their minds. So this gatekeeping movement, which continues to steamroll forward, is remarkably problematic. I don't like it at all. I'm not interested in talking to these people, frankly. There are more qualified individuals than myself who can clearly talk about this at length, like I just said, a Mike Eden or a Karen Kingston. But it's those individuals, these so-called gatekeepers, that need to be talking to those people. You know, the, the doctor, uh, Dr. Mihalcha, for example, she's another perfect example of somebody who, again, isn't making their way anywhere close to these gatekeepers, and that's a huge issue. These are individuals that are so far ahead of the curve that they're screaming from the mountaintops of what's going on, and yet the real messages aren't getting out there. Let me give you an example. Uh, Karen Kingston recently on Substack just said the following. Dr. Anna Mihalcha confirmed that childhood MMR and chickenpox vaccines contain the mRNA nanoparticle technologies. It's time to demand a moratorium on the use of all mRNA nanotechnology and full disclosure of where mRNA technology is being used in medicine as well as under other industries such as agriculture, unquote. Seems like a big deal, but that's not what you're going to hear these gatekeepers discuss. So I'm going to play this 12-minute audio. I may dive in and out, uh, depending on, again, what specifically gets brought up, but Give this a listen right now in three, two, one. Um, about uh, the, the the COVID mRNA shots, uh, clearly this ended up being something that we saw unprecedented coercion uh, by the federal government uh, to where you had to go all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, to strike down the OSHA mandate. Uh, you had the mandate on medical nurses, and, and we we blocked that in Florida, but that was something that was imposed. And uh, you had a lot of people at the time that would that would come come to me and go to their legislators here in Florida when when this was being discussed at the federal level. And a lot of them had had COVID. Um, a lot of them just didn't didn't want to take it. There are other people that just were saying, "Hey, this is an emergency use. I'm low risk of COVID. I don't know what's ended up going to happen." And yet it seemed like you were not able to even question anything about this, uh, that it was just something that regardless of your risk level, you were expected uh, to do. And I'm just thinking, like, if, if, if a new medication were to come out tomorrow, the first thing someone would ask is, OK, what are the what are the uh, possible uh, negatives versus what, what do I have to gain by taking it? That's a basic calculation that someone would make before they would take anything. And yet on this situation, uh, even people that were of the lowest risk imaginable who had who had, had COVID and developed natural immunity were being told that you had to take this and you couldn't ask any questions. And, and I don't know why, why did that happen uh, to, to, to the extent that it did? Wouldn't something that had been relatively new technology, wouldn't you want to have an honest discussion about the pluses or minuses of this? I'm going to pause it there and just dive in here and mention a few things. First of all, I don't know if Ron DeSantis is playing dumb or if he's really asking these questions again because he doesn't know the answer. Again, is he doing a devil's advocate thing or is he is he really this gullible? If he's really this gullible, then he has no business being a governor. I think that's pretty clear. If you don't understand that coercion is the motive for murder, 
and one of the methods that gets used in order to kill people, well, you've got some catching up to do, I guess. But that right there, again, should prove to people that that's exactly why the coercion piece was there. It was there to get people to take a murder weapon. That was the whole point. And then he goes, I, I just don't understand the coercion. It just seemed really unnecessary. You think? Yeah, it was unnecessary. It was there on purpose because they knew that endless individuals wouldn't ask any questions. Again, they stirred up the fear. They did all of that on purpose. The, the, this was all a part of the psychological operation. Now, again, I understand that DeSantis is a governor of a state, which means he's controlled. He's blackmailed. He didn't get there by accident. He got there because they've got something on him. I fully understand that. But this, again, this gatekeeping angle of all of this is slow rolling the truth, and that's getting people killed. If they came out like they're coming out here now, if they did this back in 2020, we wouldn't be where we are right now. These shots would be off the market, hopefully. You know, there's no way for me to really know that, but at the exact same time, endless lives could have been saved. But it's taken them how long now to actually say this? Because this video is just, I think, a week old. February 10th, I believe, is when this video came out, or this particular Zoom discussion. So again, I, I, don't, I don't understand the slow roll of this at this point, other than the fact, again, that they are the gatekeepers themselves. Not to mention the irony of DeSantis himself openly stating that he took the shots, so he says. I think he's lying. But he claims that his wife took them. Well, shortly after, his wife ended up with breast cancer, so the story goes. Again, I don't know what to believe. I, I do know that the shots are causing cancer, they're causing breast cancer, they're causing all kinds of cancer. But again, why would he openly admit that and not, and not be able to connect the two things? Does he not know if that was in fact true, that his wife did in fact have breast cancer? Does he not know that the shots are causing cancer? Did he, did, I mean, can he not put those two things together? So the next person who's going to talk right now is, again, the Surgeon General. And again, he chimes in right after DeSantis. So give this a listen. You, you look at one by one, every last one of these things with enough investigation, with enough persistence of people who have been affected and feel that their symptoms are attributable to their mRNA COVID-19 shot. Literally every last one of them, the evidence for each one of those has accumulated during the pandemic over the course of time. And in fact, you know, some of them aren't even debatable anymore. You know, there's wide acknowledgement of their existence. And so it, it is interesting that the people have been over here with specific complaints and it's still ongoing. Right. There are debates right now about excess mortality and cancer attribution. And the scientists, generally from the CDC, have been over, have been on the other side. But you know, the the people have. I mean, they're batting about a thousand in terms of the attribution from evidence of their complaints to their exposure to these vaccines, and that that requires some. I mean, that requires some real soul searching on the side of scientists. Why is it that we had scientists who were saying, "No, we've looked for the signal." We haven't seen any evidence of myocarditis. And why is it that we've had scientists that have just been just been in in such 
such a different posture than people in terms of their sense of their of the, of the relationship between their symptoms and these vaccines. It, I, I, it's actually kind of remarkable, I think, when you when you think about it, that the science and the people can be in such different positions for so much of the pandemic. And and then to put a cherry on top of it, the people end up being right. So I think that, again, that's something that, you know, that, that, I, that requires some some reflection on the part of scientists. So I, I think uh, in the early days of, of the vaccine rollout, uh, you had a disease that's, that's really harming older people, some vulnerable people. You have a, 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 some evidence from a randomized trial, large randomized trial that it might reduce the, 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 the harm from getting infected. It makes, and of course, Joe, you're, uh, you're, Dr. Lato, you're absolutely right to say that uh, they're, 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 we don't know. Like the randomized trials themselves cannot possibly elucidate all the risks. So you have to make a calculation. You have to say, okay, does it make sense to recommend it for people who are very, very high risk from dying from the disease, even though we don't know? So you, you, I, I think it makes sense in that set setting. There's some, some uncertainty. You convey the uncertainty. You never mandate it. You say, this is the book you, you on the balance of the evidence we know now, and then, then be honest when new evidence comes in. And for young people for whom the risk of the disease is so low, the balance doesn't tilt in that direction, doesn't tilt in the toward recommending, then you never recommend it. Instead, public health, what it did is it decided that this vaccine was necessary to eliminate the disease from the face of the earth, that it would, the, the, the vaccine could stop you from getting and spreading COVID, even though the randomized trials didn't show that. And so they adopted things that were against what the scientific evidence had shown, at the very least extrapolating far beyond what the scientific evidence had shown, violated basic informed consent standards, as just as you, as, as, as folks have said, including, including Dr. Weinstein. And, uh, and as a result, the confidence that people have in basic vaccines is at an all-time low. There's so much there. So let me go back. First of all, that last guy that you're hearing is Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, if I'm saying his last name correctly. Um, here's the thing. Again, like I said at the top, the word usage is overwhelming. There is no COVID. It doesn't exist. If you got ill, it's because you were around the jabbed. Or you took a shot of some kind back in 2019 or even in 2020. That's it. Or the 5G towers being cranked up and wireless radiation and people being in those environments and then, of course, feeling ill. This is why. This is why people became sick. Again, you heard the Surgeon General say, you know, all these, all these debates about whether it causes cancer or it causes this or causes that. There is no debate. There's no debate being had anymore. In fact, there never was a debate. The evidence was rolling in like a tsunami. You could see it coming. It was happening almost immediately. I, I recall like it was yesterday when it was January of 2021. And one of the first things that popped up on the internet with any semblance of consistency, I would say, and it was overwhelming, were the number of individuals who were nurses who had taken these shots and had Guillain-Barre syndrome and were shaking and convulsing. It was undeniable. That's not a debate. Again, 
If these individuals are in the positions that they're in and they're not paying attention to the facts as they're happening, then they're far too trusting. And you just heard this Dr. J guy say the ex- say basically that exact same thing. Well, I don't understand why they would do this, and I don't get it. I mean, if it was ineffective, why wouldn't they just tell us? Why do you think? Because they want us dead. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what else to say. I mean, that's the point. These individuals are having a Zoom call talking about how they can't wrap their heads around, even today, about how they can't wrap their heads around a depopulation agenda. That these people would create something for the purposes of killing people. And these people happen to be our government in combination with other governments. I, I, thought, I thought to some extent this was common sense. But unfortunately, again, among these so-called gatekeepers, these all-knowing, all-seeing individuals, they have no flipping clue. I also find it hilarious, as even Amazing Polly, of course, has brought this up with regularity, and she's 100% right, is that you have this Dr. Brett Weinstein, who now again is being called a doctor, like he's a medical doctor, which of course he isn't. He has a PhD. Congratulations. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. These degrees don't matter. These are all doctors that are talking to one another, whether they have PhDs or medical degrees or whatever. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. So again, I find it interesting that, again, a Dr. Brett Weinstein, who again was the evergreen college guy from back in the day, that he would engage in sophomoric arguments back again in 2020 and say, well, I'm not listening to you because you're not a doctor. And yet here he is, and you're going to hear him in just a minute, whining as he always does. I just don't understand why this is the way that it is and blah, blah, blah. I just don't get it. It's it's confusing. And I mean, I, I bought into this also, but then I woke up in the blink of an eye. Well, good for you. Good for you. Most of us have been awake for a very long time. My suggestion to these people, again, is that they change their company. They need to broaden their horizons on who they're talking to. Because they're in this gatekeeping echo chamber. And then every time that they talk, it's somehow breaking news. Again, I heard Dr. Weinstein the other day. And when I say other day, I mean the middle of last week. Uh, <laughs> he, was on, he was on Alex Jones's show for at least an hour. And what were they talking about? Absolutely nothing. They were talking about nothing. Well, I I woke up in one minute. It took me one minute to wake up. He says uh, back in 2020, and I thought to myself, I I I don't I don't understand what's going on. I I don't know why people are falling for this, even though I fell for it and I wore a mask and I distanced and I did all of the things that the doctor suggested. I eventually thought to myself, well, geez, it just seems like this is strange. Yeah, yeah, we saw this coming before it happened. Long before it happened. In fact, I should mention this too. Stu Peters has been ahead of the curve on this for quite some time also because he's had the likes of, of course, Karen Kingston on his show and numerous other individuals who have been talking about this dating back again to 2020. That's when he started his show. And his podcast got yanked from Apple Podcasts because it was arguably, if not the number one podcast that was on there, it was in the top two. It got pulled. Steve Bannon's podcast remained. The War Room 
But Stu Peters got kicked off. And again, Stu Peters a year ago, I, I, I watched it the very first time when Dr. Latipo was on his show. It was amazing. It was amazing, not because it was a great conversation. It was incredible because Stu Peters knew way more than a surgeon general for an entire state in the United States. And he goes, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an administrator and I, you know, I, I don't dive into this and I don't dive into that and you know, blah, blah, blah. And you heard him earlier again talking about debates. Well, I know that there's debates going on. No, there aren't. There are no debates. There have not been debates. There are people who are more knowledgeable, who are vessels of information, looking at the entire landscape and understanding the larger agenda, and then there are those who are not, and those who have no grasp of it, like the people in this conversation. Again, Stu Peters looked right into his face and said, you got to do something about this, because your state's getting wiped out. He goes, will you come back on the show and talk about what you've learned since being here? And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be back. It took him like six months before he came back on, and he hasn't been back on since. He has nothing to offer. These guys have nothing to offer. It's amazing. I'm going to keep playing it, though, because now you'll hear Weinstein whining, and it's beyond embarrassing. So anyway, here's uh, more from Dr. J here in just a second, so give this a listen. Resurgence as of, 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 of measles. We've, we're seeing a collapse in the trust of basic public health uh, people following basic public health advice that does have scientific evidence in favor of it. And it's completely predictable. Um, I, we, we absolutely need to clean, I agree with Dr. Kuldorf, we need to clean public health out because this generation of public health has failed the, the, the people, the American people and the people of the world. I would just add that in this case, like so many others, there's the strong implication that we were just not present at some meeting where the policy was decided upon because, uh, well, one can see two things. One, uh, among people for whom the shots never made the slightest bit of sense were healthy kids who did not have a substantial risk from COVID. So the idea that these shots were recommended for young, healthy people uh, was presumably on the basis that it might control the spread of the disease, but that implies a willingness to sacrifice the health of kids, to put them at the risk of an untested technology or a minimally tested technology in order to protect old or infirm, vulnerable people. That is not something a reasonable society does, and yet in this case, it was, uh, it was deemed to be an obvious choice. But then, at the point that it becomes clear that the shots have no capacity to control the spread of the disease, the obvious thing to do, these shots were given emergency use authorization on the basis that we didn't really have a choice but to accept the uh, unusual level of risk of a novel technology in order to to uh, control this disease, at the point it became clear that the shots didn't control the disease, the obvious thing to do would be to withdraw them from people who didn't stand to benefit from them in the first place. Those people should never have been given the shots, but if somehow we as a society decided to do that, then you would instantly take those recommendations away for these people who didn't stand to benefit. And yet... He just said, withdraw them from people who didn't stand to benefit from them in the first place. 
that that phrase alone, I mean, that sentence alone is a lie because nobody benefits from it. <laughs> it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not an age specific thing. Well, some people over here, uh, you know, it could have benefited and other people over here, it, it might not have benefited. No, it doesn't benefit anybody because it's designed to not benefit anybody. That's the point. It's an intentional. This is the thing that these guys can't wrap their heads around. Or, like I said earlier, they know it, but they don't want to lead anybody to actually believe that. Because they're controlled. Again, they talk to each other in these echo chambers, and they all just ask questions to things that we already know the answers to. It's exhausting. It truly is. Listening to these people is like nails on a chalkboard, but it's not high it's not a high pitched sound. It's it's a very dull malaise that is really hard to hear. So let's keep slugging through it. <laughs> let's keep listening to the dull tones of Dr. Brett Weinstein, shall we? In three, two, one. In many cases, those recommendations still persist which suggests that something is driving this policy that isn't about making those people healthier or more immune. And right. I, I, would, I would add to that. The other piece of this that it just drives me is a totally um, out of step with what we've ever done as a medical field is when they recommended the vaccine to, to pregnant women off of the bat without really any evidence of, of safety. And this is, a totally unheard of situation. We we don't allow pregnant women. We recommend pregnant women to not eat cold cuts. They have to not eat cold cuts. And then we said, okay, but we're going to give you this novel technology that oh, will it affect your you know unborn child? It's well, we actually. My, my wife was actually pregnant when the COVID vaccine came out, and uh, I remember they recommended it before she had to pregnant women before she delivered our child. And my only thought was, how can you even possibly recommend this? The children haven't even been born yet from when the vaccine was released in the first place. So we couldn't even possibly know the effect on these children before they recommended it. And this was one of these moments of, you know, along with what Dr. Weinstein saying here that with recommending it to children who are at this absurdly low risk, recommending it to pregnant women. These are moments that really do, do make you question, how did our government come to these uh, universal recommendations to all people? And even if you're trying to stop transmission, how many pregnant women are there within the nation that, it, oh, it, would it really be this idea of this theoretical herd immunity they were trying to reach? And if only if we just didn't waited nine months to give it to these pregnant women, would we really have not reached that theoretical herd immunity? It didn't even make any logical sense. There's not enough pregnant women to have to have created that problem. So this was there were some serious flaws in even how this was recommended that just make us question where did this, you know, as Weinstein alluded, where was the meeting? When was the meeting happen? Why why did they come to these conclusions? These are questions that we really I would like the answer to. How, Okay, very quickly, that's a, I believe, a Dr. Joseph Freeman. If memory serves, 
and I could be wrong, but the guy is familiar to me. This was an individual who, again, bought the lie. He bought into it, again, just like Weinstein or Weinstein or however you want to pronounce it. Uh, he, again, bought into it also, wore the mask, did the distancing, the whole thing. He could even be jabbed. And now, all of a sudden, he's trying to come back around and act like, you know, he was the victim of the whole thing. Okay, first of all, going back to what Brett Weinstein or Weinstein said earlier, government isn't going to invite you into the room to tell you the thing that they're going to do to you. I, th I thought that went without saying. These are unfortunately people in this Zoom call who trust government. Because let's face it, Ron DeSantis is right there. And he's listening to all of this too. So where, where in any book does it say that we the public are going to get invited into a meeting with government about a thing that they're creating to kill us? That's how gullible these people are. They trust government. They trust the medical industry. And what they're showing everybody is that they did before 2020. That's too bad. I gave up on them, I want to say, 2007. The last time I took a flu shot when I got deathly ill and super poisoned and was held up in bed for an entire weekend. That's when I pretty much gave up on them, 100%. And then, of course, one time I went to the doctor's office shortly after with poison ivy on my face, and the guy prescribed me an antibiotic. And I laughed at him, and I stood up and I walked out. I mean, again, these individuals trusted and still trust, apparently, government, although maybe not the medical industry so much, but they don't understand that they're in each other's back pockets. And again, just to review, the enemy is never going to invite us into their behind-closed-door meetings where they're scheming to kill people. They're not going to do that. So stop asking, you know, did I miss a meeting or something? Did they, you know, I, I didn't get the memo. No kidding, you didn't. Keeping people in the dark is the whole point. So don't be shocked when a gang of individuals scheme together to engage in conspiracy to commit murder. That's what it is. The other thing, too, and I think this has to be said also, is that these kinds of conversations perpetuate the virology lie. They keep that lie going. And you can hear it in what Weinstein is, is, is saying on such a constant basis. With certain people getting ill, and the virus is over here, and the shots are supposed to contain the virus, and goo goo goo. They just don't know that virology is a lie itself. You're never going to get Latipo to say that. It won't matter how many simple articles he reads about the history of the lie of virology. He's never going to come around on that, which is why these are not the people anybody needs to be listening to about anything. But it's why they cross-promote. They cross-promote each other because, again, they're trying to get out ahead of this because it's the money they're interested in, not the truth. If it were the truth, they'd be saying what you're hearing me say. They would say what you know to be true also, but they're not doing that. They're just sitting around yanking on each other going, I, I, don't, I don't understand. I, I don't get it. Again, it's, it's beyond exhausting. So there's three more minutes of this. 
uh, we're, again, we're going to have to slug through it together. So here we go. How these conclusions were, were come to. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, we, we had a lot of, uh, I mean, we had no mandates in Florida, but I mean, we had pregnant women that were saying that their doctors were pushing this on them to, to, to get this. And they had questions like, oh, no, it's been proven to be safe. I mean, how has it been proven to be? I mean, it just factually wasn't true. And yet that was being done uh, as a matter of course. And so it's uh, uh, a lot of problems coming out of this. But I think this this is just one iteration of, of, of one report. Uh, this grand jury has got a mandate to do more uh, and they can they can issue more. I think that they will likely do it, of course. We are not privy to anything that goes on in there, um, and none of you said anything that was there. And I don't know if any of you have testified, but if you have, that's privileged information for that grand jury until there's a report. So just keep that in mind. Uh, so, so we're going to respect that process. But the way I look at this, it, I mean, I mentioned kind of the 21st century. We had 9/11 in the wars, the financial crash, and the Great Recession, and then COVID have kind of been like three major events that shook society. 9-11, you had a big 9-11 commission, a big report. The decision to launch the Iraq war was like one of the biggest political issues for election cycle after election cycle in this country. Uh, the financial crisis, you know, led to uh, major pieces of legislation for better or worse. It, it colored things for, for years and years. And yet with COVID, it seems like, you know, there's not any commission on the horizon. There's not uh, anyone really uh, wanting to, to to have an accounting uh, so that this doesn't happen again. And so so this grand jury is really serving that function for, for really the country, which is unfortunate that it is, but that's a, that's a, a, effectively what is what is done. And then if there is any uh, accountability that, that that needs to be done vis-a-vis -vis any actors, they will have the ability to, to potentially pursue that as well. So uh, we look forward to seeing what more work that they've done. I, it seems like they've been very, uh, very active, uh, just from from what you can tell. And uh, and I and I know that there'll likely be uh, more to come. Leave it to Ron DeSantis to tell you half truths and then a bucket full of lies. Absolutely ridiculous. Again, he doesn't even hear the words coming out of his own mouth. We didn't have any mandates in Florida, he said. But we had all these pregnant women that were getting it pushed on them, and that seemed unfair. Ron, Earth to Ron, you had mandates in Florida, lots of them. Workplace mandates, hospital mandates, you name it. Pick a place. Pick one. The entire hospital system in Florida was telling all of their employees, take the jabs or you're fired. He's out to lunch on this issue. He's completely out to lunch. He, he, again, <laughs> the governor of a state doesn't even know what's going on in his own state. You have to be kidding. And then, of course, what does he do? He brings up one fallacy after another from a historic perspective, ties them all together like they're all real when they aren't. The Great Depression, 9-11, and COVID seem to be big historic marks in our history and blah blah blah. You have to be you have to be kidding me. They were all manufactured. Every single one of those crises was manufactured by the same enemy. The same enemy. Ron doesn't know this. Ron's not our leader. We don't need to follow Ron DeSantis anywhere or any of these people. They are the problem.
absolutely ridiculous. And I don't trust any grand jury coming out of Florida regarding this issue whatsoever. If anything comes from this, I'll bring it up on the show, but I'm telling you, it's going to be embarrassing because what are they not going to do? They're not going to cover the virology lie. They aren't going to do it. They aren't going to say there was no COVID. The tests were fake. The masks did nothing. They aren't going to say any of that, which means nothing's going to come from it. It isn't going to be the truth. It'll be half-truths with 80% lies, if that's even possible. <laughs> I mean, defeats the definition of a half-truth, but you get what I'm saying. They, they aren't going to come out and tell people what the truth is because they're government. They're in on it, grand jury or not. The other thing, too, that I find fascinating with these gatekeepers and their useless conversations that they have is that when they get together and they talk and they ask each other all these questions which already have answers, they're actually proving that virology is a lie in everything that they're saying. Which leads me to this, actually, which has to do with the business of shedding, which is, again, a slang term for electromagnetism. Because this right here, again, is how people become ill. I've been over it at length on this show, as you know. But for some reason, this particular story is making the rounds yet again like it's brand new. It's titled, and again, this is from VigilantNews.com. I don't know who this Vigilant Fox person is. But again, they steal these stories off of the Epoch Times and other people. And then they post them on their site. Again, almost as if it's a new thing, when in fact it isn't. This, is, this has been well known. Not to mention, if the shedding is real and electromagnetism, which they're not going to call it electromagnetism, because if, God forbid, they actually use that word, what'll happen is, is people will start to look up what electromagnetism is. And at that point, the game will be over, because then they'll have nowhere to go. Again, the group that's basically the FLCCC, you know, the Pierre Corys, the Ryan Coles, and the Dr. McCulloughs, they won't have anything to grab onto anymore. The whole variant lie will be out the window. They'll have nothing to talk about anymore. Again, shedding is not only very, very real and has been forever, but it's in the actual package insert of flu shots. Kim Carter's mentioned it on the show here numerous times. In fact, it's probably on the package inserts of almost all shots. The kicker, of course, is that there was no package insert for the COVID shots. Strange. But again, it was an intentional. And this is what those guys in that previous audio have a hard time grasping, apparently. So again, here's the title of this, and this was just, again, from February 17th. Vaccinated hit by new bombshell. COVID-19 vaccine shedding is real and Pfizer's own documents are proof. No kidding. This isn't new. Again, they bring up a, a number of different scenarios. Indirect exposure, direct exposure, uh, skin contact. You touch someone and then you end up becoming ill. You know, I have no proof that this somehow moves from person to person via sweat. But what this proves is, is it proves electromagnetism. Because we are electric beings. We're 90% water. Beyond, again, the cells in our body and all of the plasma that exists in our body and the whole thing. I know that the percentage 
it's thrown around that we're 75% water. I think it's way more than that. I've heard, again, upwards of 90%, which means we're conductors of electricity. That's why grounding is a thing. That's why when you walk around barefoot, again, it increases the cell production and the cell flow inside of your entire body. The ground is electric, too, and a conductor of electricity. I mean, again, they're inadvertently disproving virology, but they don't know that they're doing that. Or they do know that they're doing that. They're just slow rolling it because, again, they don't want to lose their medical license or they want to maintain the narrative as much as they possibly can. Either way, I just find all of this beyond disgusting. Again, I think that the dead giveaway continues to be who these gatekeepers don't talk to. And why is it that they're not talking with these individuals? Again, I haven't seen Peter McCullough on Stu Peters' show in a very long time. That's usually the indication, again, that Stu Peters knows more about what's really going on than a Dr. McCullough. Again, I saw, well, it was a long time ago, I want to say maybe over the summer, Dr. McCullough was screaming and yelling on someone's show. It could have even been, quite frankly, um, but he was screaming and yelling about virology. I mean, he got, he got hot about it, and he immediately just started, you know, his tone changed, and he immediately started yelling and saying, well, we don't need to have that debate. That's not a debate that we need to be having. We need to be talking about this instead. It's like, wait a minute. Cool your jets. Cool out. We can talk about whatever we want to talk about. And I think I brought that up on the show, now that memory serves, but either way, this is, this is an issue. If individuals don't want to have conversations with more knowledgeable individuals, then that should tell you all that you need to know about your ability to trust these people, and we should not be trusting any of these people. There's this article, too, by the way. This was a, uh, a quote-unquote peer-reviewed article, so take that for what it's worth. Um, this was the pre-proof, although it's been accepted as of January 24th. Not surprising. Again, I don't think I read this on the show, but it's from the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. Again, this, this won't shock anyone, but the disappointing part about it is that this particular study, again, has to do with the jabs and then what the jabs do to pregnant individuals, two in particular, if memory serves, within this study. And then they basically, in the study, get away with saying, well, don't worry, the poison jabs and the jab juice, so to speak, was found in the umbilical cord. Uh, but the the babies were fine. Again, I, I I don't know, I don't know how that equates. Again, are they tracking the babies later on in life? I mean, have they have they already died? Uh, I'm, we're not going to hear any follow up on this. But the particular article itself is titled "Transplacental Transmission of the COVID nineteen Vaccine mRNA: Evidence from Placental, Maternal, and Cord Blood Analysis." post-vaccination. So give this abstract a listen. It's rather interesting, I think. Here's the objective, rather, but it says the following. SARS-CoV-2 infection presents substantial challenges to global health, necessitating effective interventions such as COVID-19 vaccination. See what I mean? The first sentence out of the gate is a lie. It goes on, it says the initial clinical trials of the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines excluded pregnant women 
leading to a knowledge gap concerning the potential biodistribution of the vaccine's mRNA to the placenta and or the fetus after maternal vaccination. The Pfizer and Moderna assessment reports provided to the European Medicines Agency concluded that in animal models, a fraction of the administered mRNA dose is distributed to distant tissues, mainly the liver, adrenal glands, spleen, and ovaries. Other animal studies showed that lipid nanoparticles, they openly admit it, similar in composition to COVID-19 mRNA vaccines, delivered functional mRNA to the placenta and other fetal organs. A recently published study demonstrated that the COVID-19 vaccine mRNA administered to lactating mothers can spread systematically from the injection site to breast milk, indicating that it could cross the blood milk barrier. It says another study evaluating the effects of maternal COVID-19 vaccination on the hematopoietic stem progenitor cells, if I'm saying all that right, probably not, in the umbilical cord, blood, suggested that the lipid nanoparticles in mRNA vaccines might reach the fetus following maternal vaccination. Might? Yeah, no kidding. It says the report presents two unique cases wherein pregnant individuals were vaccinated with the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines shortly before delivery. The study aimed to assess the presence of COVID-19 vaccine mRNA in the placenta and cord blood following maternal vaccination during human pregnancy. Now get a load of this. It says the study involved two pregnant individuals. Patient number one was a 34-year-old woman at 38 weeks and four days of gestation, had pregnancy-induced hypertension, and was vaccinated with, wait for it, two Pfizer's and then a Pfizer booster and a Moderna booster. This mother was four deep. (laughs) Honestly, it's not a carnival game. I mean, holy mackerel. The last dose for this individual was a Moderna booster administered two days before cesarean section delivery of a healthy baby, so they say. Samples of the placenta maternal blood and cord blood were collected post-delivery. Patient number two was a 34-year-old woman at 40 weeks gestation and had an uncomplicated pregnancy and received two Pfizer vaccine doses. The last dose was administered 10 days before vaginal delivery of a healthy baby so they say. Only placental samples were, co- uh, were collected rather after birth. And as it stated, it was found to be positive in both the placenta and the umbilical cord. And again, they're going to have to do some kind of a follow-up regarding the actual children themselves. Like I said earlier, are they dead? Do we know? We're not going to find that out. It seems rather important. Again, I'm going to wrap up with this, but Basically, again, just to sort of summarize, and news from last week also proves this, that in France, if you doubt the COVID narrative in any way, any aspect of it whatsoever in the country of France, you can find yourself going to jail and paying a massive fine. This, again, is one of the last-ditch efforts of a failing and flailing-to-death government in order to make the truth illegal. In fact, speaking of making the truth illegal, 
or at the very least, continuing to infringe on people's rights. Let me play this now. This came to me from a family member, and I'm going to describe what you're going to hear first. This is approximately eight minutes long. I'm going to play it straight straight through here. But this was from February 13th of this year, and it was titled Michigan State Board of Education on Homeschool Registry and Warrantless Entry. So what you're going to hear these people at this table basically discussing is how Dana Nessel is interested in tightening, I I would say tightening down and making it harder for homeschooling parents to do so without registering, of course, because they want a registry. And then, of course, as you'll hear them discuss, the business of warrantless entry into either nursing homes or any home for that matter, and they just get to pick and choose whichever home they want to walk into and then start asking questions. And as we know, they would most certainly bring with them CPS, and they would have them there, and they would make determinations as to whether or not the children were being abused, and then we know what CPS does. They would take those children because they would falsify some allegation, basically, that, they're, that they must be abused here because we don't see any kind of a learning environment, so says government. And then before you know it, in order to actually homeschool your children, you have government coming into your living room engaging in some kind of a interview process before the government can make the determination as to whether or not you homeschool your kids. And as you know, the mere suggestion of such a ridiculous thing is outrageous. And of course, it's completely illegal. However, one of the interesting parts about this conversation is that these individuals on this board for their state of education and their department of education, they openly state that this is not a good idea. And unfortunately, as I've even brought up on the show before, one of the inroads, which is completely ridiculous and absolutely hilarious, is that one of the inroads that they that these corrupt politicians, which is redundant, but one of the inroads that they make regarding this registering for, for homeschool so that government has oversight over the homeschooling family is they do it under the guise of safety. That we are government and we want to come into your home to see what you're doing with your children because we, government, want to make sure that your child is safe. Because we know that public, private, and charter schools as government are more safe than potentially the home environment. This is what government is trying to gaslight people with. This is what they do. So give this conversation a listen. Again, it's refreshing because the people in the room are actually standing up for homeschooling parents, which is good. And they're standing up for the Constitution, which is good. So here we go. Um, comments by state board members. Mr. McMillan. So this whole home, you know, and I should have, I could have brought it up because you brought it up during your superintendent report, but this whole homeschooling thing is really uh, quite disturbing. And one of the things that disturbs me about this is the disingenuousness of the discussion. Because we have people like the Senate Education Committee Chair, uh, Dana Bohanke saying that when asked about increasing regulations beyond re- registration, she said, not on my watch. 
Well, we got Attorney General Nessel that says that she wants to do it because the foster care system didn't do their job and apparently homeschool parents, uh, there was some abuse going on at a homeschool home. Um, or it, actually, it sounds like the foster care system, but certainly a mere registration, a list of people is not going to have anything to do or will not help prevent um, what Attorney General Nessel is talking about. So she's already kind of said the quiet part out loud. She basically said, we want this list so that we can have unwarranted home entry uh, without a warrant, warrantless uh, home entry into homeschool into this particular targeted group. Um, and we want to be able to go in there. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of bad things happening all around the state, potentially in some houses, but we have a legal system that says you have to have a warrant before you go in. However, um, because of this one instance, uh, you know, some in the state want to be able to barge in and, and bust the door down. And, and I'm not being, you know, it's not hyperbolic. I mean, if they knock on the door and they say, no, I don't want you to come in. And there's all kinds of reasons not to have them in. I, I don't, I hope I'm not the only one, but you know, there's to have the government come into your house. I don't know. There's a, a book called three felonies a day. Can't remember the guy's name that wrote it, but I mean, if the government wants to get you, they're going to find something. Uh, and so you, there's just without warrant, they shouldn't be coming into your house. Um, and, and so I just think that this is, uh, this is, it's going to go beyond registration that, uh, you know, there, there's, there's either, either naive, they're either naive or they're being disingenuous for anybody to say, all we want to do is have a list. Um, it's going to go significantly further than that. They're going to either want uh, to know exactly what's being taught, um, or they're going to want entry into the houses. And so I think that this is uh, a real a real problem. I guess I just wish that the debate would be sincere um, because we have we have one of the leaders in the education area saying, "I promise you on my watch, it'll never happen and and that's only a few years. Um, but we we know that. In other instances, registration leads to confiscation. Registration leads to getting in you know, rounding up. I mean, there's just registration is the first step, and it's not the only step. I wish that the debate were clear that you know it's going to be a lot further than registration. Uh, the desire, uh, the attorney general has already articulated, said that she wants warrantless home entry into this targeted group of people, and I think it's dangerous. You know, there's that I think that that could be any, you know, the next group could be next. I mean, who knows who the next group is um, that, that, that there's a target uh, for warrantless home entry. So um, I just uh, I that's my uh, initial comment or my comments on uh, this whole, some push by some people to simply register so we know where they are. I think that's completely disingenuous uh, and or naive, one or the other, but we know it doesn't stop there. Anybody that has half a brain realizes it doesn't stop there. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Mr. McMillan. Ms. Tilly. <clears throat> I just want to, because you mentioned the foster youth, I just want to say that this has been an issue in the community that has been talked about for a while about being able to track them. 
because they're bouncing from schools to <clears throat> homes and and um sometimes there's issues where they've run away because of things that are that have happened they want to better track them i don't know about the other end of it but as far as with the foster youth that is a real issue and thank you miss tilly miss snyder i'll just echo what you guys both have said and i wish we could separate them so that that problem is solved and they do have access to an education just like everybody else which we've been talking about um my resolution that i presented this morning i wish that we would uh, consider it i don't think it's an issue that's going away i think students have a constitutional right and reasonable expectation to privacy i do um I've been very clear too and forthright with the fact that, you know, it's oppressive to ask a student that has left the public education system for whatever reason they've left to then ask them to register with that same system. We wouldn't do that in any other uh, facet of society. And so to give people the freedom to exercise choices that work best for them is extremely important. Um, just because we're one of 11 states doesn't mean the other 39 are doing it the right way. I, I don't think we need to approach it that from that perspective. Um, and I just really want to push back on things we've talked about at this table. Public education is not safer than homeschooling. And that, that means it's, it's incumbent upon us to address that. There are multiple pieces of evidence that we've discussed here at the board table time and time again that we do nothing about that prove public education needs a safety overhaul before we can claim that homeschool leaves students more vulnerable. So sexual abuse epidemic where we refuse to register school officials have assaulted students so they can be hired, rehired elsewhere. Being concerned with requiring BTAM training, which we talked about recently at the local level due to resources, it would take the department to audit them. And yet here we are thinking we have the resources to audit every family's <laughs> educational choice in the state. That's that's unreasonable. And countless stories that violate a safe learning environment across the state, which I don't think we're done with hearing yet. So um, when you use the words disingenuous, yes, I think it is very disingenuous to suggest that we need to audit families and their educational choices because of safety, especially private and parochial schools. Right. They, what ends up happening in other states that register students in these buckets, as you as you say, is we end up overseeing their curriculum. They're making specific choices to not be in public education so that they can access a curriculum we're not choosing to administer to them. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you start to ask them to jump through hoops and you're really uh, interfering and discriminating against their right to exercise educational freedom. So, I, again, I don't think the topic is going away, and, um, and I certainly don't think that safety in public schools is something that we should shy away from. Uh, I think we should be spending our time, energy, and effort in that, because that's what we have a constitutional authority over. Okay, let's get into it. First of all, well done. That was well done. And they were both right. The woman in the middle, you know, she, she raises a point. That's true. Foster kids do bounce in and out of foster homes and in and out of particular schools, but that's not that's not a government that's not a government school related issue. That has nothing to do with homeschooling. That's a foster care issue alone, as the third woman openly stated. They need to be separated, not brought together. But that's what government does. They lump irrelevant subjects together to try to get something draconian passed 
as much as humanly possible, and then, of course, make that their new totalitarian policy that they have in place. The last woman also raised a great point regarding why people homeschool. And this is something, of course, that is not usually brought up in those particular meetings, and yet she brought it up. She openly stated that they are seeking different and alternative curriculums that they as a state never provide. That right there, again, is the unspoken truth. I wish I had five minutes with these people, just five. I would shake their hands, first of all, to those individuals who who made those comments. And then second of all, I would sit around that table and I would ask them the following question. I would say, when an individual decides to homeschool and leave the public, private, or charter avenue or arena, however you want to phrase it, if they leave, we should be asking them why they're leaving specifically. What is it that is going on in the building where your child is now being unenrolled? And let's gather that information. And then let's analyze that information. This is something that is not being done. This is something, again, that typically does not occur at any state level. Now, the reason that it doesn't occur, as you might expect, is because government doesn't want to know. Government doesn't want to know why American citizens walk away from government. Again, they're not going to sit around a table and really read off any data that specifically describes why people are leaving. It would be more of an indictment on the actual system itself than what is already out there as public knowledge. And then, of course, if they gathered this information by law, they would probably have to publish it someplace so people could actually see it. And they could actually read these kinds of comments. Again, imagine, imagine one of the comments going like this. I have a smile on my face as I say this, but imagine one of the comments that someone would read, say, for example, in a fake, you know, public school, private school, charter, charter school exit survey. We'll call it that just for hypothetical reasons. But again, it's, it's, it's brought about by the government and the government says you have to fill this out or we would like you to fill this out and describe to us why you're leaving these environments. And the parent writing in or the guardian writing in their explanation as to why their child is leaving these environments and why they're pulling them out has to do with fake school shootings. What if that ends up being a thing? Imagine the look on the face of the person in these, you know, state government board meetings, in particular in the field of education, and they come across a comment like that. Well, this person says that they're pulling their kids out because they don't want to be a part of a fake school shooting and they're tired of all the drills and they're tired of all these psychological operations. I mean, they wouldn't be able to wrap their heads around that. That's why they don't ask questions. They're afraid of what the answers are going to be. It actually leads me to this, which is going to be one of the last things I mention here, but this, this popped up uh, on my feed just the other day from Substack, and this is a couple of years old. And this is from a Substack called georgefrancis.substack.com. This particular article is titled Empirical Verification of Sailor's Law. I want to read this. It's not long. But there's one aspect of this that, of course, the author and uh, the research that they're, that they're referencing here don't take into account. I find this fascinating, but again, there's, there's a separate dimension. And based on what I just said a, a minute ago, you're going to know exactly where I'm headed with this. 
But here's what it says. It says, on May 14th, a mass shooter, keep in mind this was May 17th of 2022, on May 14th, a mass shooter killed 10 and wounded two in a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. Now, as you know, I, I covered that on the show, and I don't think anybody died. I think that was fake. Anyway, I'll move on. It continues, and it says, It was a terrible tragedy, but have you worked out if the shooter's ancestors were from sub-Saharan Africa? According to journalist Steve Saylor, you can guess this just from the information I have given you. In Sev Saylor's Law of Mass Shooting, which they reference this, this is apparently some law, or, you know, philosophical law, he states that, quote, if there are more wounded than killed, then the shooter is likely black. If there are more killed than wounded, then the shooter is likely not black. He goes on and says, It sounds ridiculous, yet whenever a mass shooting goes viral on Twitter, Sailor's Law gets vindicated again and again and again. And of course, they reference a number of different so-called shootings. Let me see which ones they're referencing here. The first one appears to be one from VDare on X. It says, In other crime news on Wednesday of this week, a man shot three Korean women at a hair salon in the Korean part of Dallas. Fortunately, what with the shooter being black and Sailor's Law of Mass Shootings, none were killed. So they reference that. Here's the second one they reference. Again, these are all X posts. Uh, the next one also from VDare. Again, it says, besides Sailor law, Sailor's Law of Mass Shootings, there's Coulter's Law. Quote, the longer we go without being told the race of the shooters, the less likely it is to be white men. That's true, because that's how the media operates. It blows up their entire narrative. In particular now, of course, we can take into account, I think, as one of the variables, illegal aliens. The longer we go without seeing a picture or, no or noticing the name or even the background of the so-called shooter, chances are they're an illegal alien. Here was the last thing that they referenced. A Dallas, uh, it says Dallas police, this was back in 2021, Dallas police searching for a 21-year-old Jonathan, uh, let's see, Lackery Terrell Rogers, I guess, after he shot eight and killed one at Prime Bar in Dallas. It says, Sailor's Law of Mass Shooting, if there are more wounded than killed, then the shooter is likely black. But if there's more killed than wounded, then the shooter is likely not black. Okay. Again, there's an element here, which you've probably already picked up on, that this individual is not taking into account. So, let me continue with the article here. It says, but what if this is just survivorship bias, they say. Maybe black shooters keep missing vital organs, or maybe we just miss all the mass shootings that don't conform to Sailor's Law. They said, for this fundamental law of the online HBD community, it is essential we know whether it is fact or fiction, so I decided to test it. Seb Jensen recommended that I look at the Stanford Mass Shootings in America dataset. This was a professional attempt by academics and their assistants to record shootings with three or more victims, 
Note, however, that the FBI definition of mass shootings requires four or more fatalities. It describes itself as a curated set of spatial and temporal uh, data about mass shootings, rather, in America, taken from online media sources. It says, and a curated database recording only 284 known shootings since 1966. It is not, it says, a complete set of all mass shootings and may be biased in which attacks it ends up recording. The project has been suspended since 2016. Interesting timing. It says, using the Stanford data set, we get the cross-tabulation below. If the number of fatalities is greater than the number of wounded, then there's a 77% chance the shooter is not black. If the wounded outnumber the, ki- wounded outnumber the killed, there is a 43% chance the shooter is black. In other words, if injuries are greater than, fa- than fatalities, the probability of the shooter being black is 20% higher than in the alternate case. The results show that the injuries versus fatalities can help predict race, but they don't quite agree with Sailor's Law, which requires a 50-plus percent chance of the shooter being black if injuries are greater than fatalities. It goes on. It says, however, this data set is curated and created by presumably liberal academics, so it may be systematically missing mass shootings completed rather by blacks. In the Stanford database, or data set rather, 31% of mass shooters are black, which is odd since we know from FBI crime statistics that most murders are committed by blacks. The Stanford data set also excludes mass shootings associated with organized crime and drugs. In a data set which does does include such shootings, 75% of the culprits are black. If we just multiply the number of black mass shootings in the data set so they are 75% of all shootings, we get the below-cross tabulation. Now, if injuries are greater than fatalities, the chances of the shooter being black is 83%. It then says, however, if the fatalities outnumber the number of injuries, then there is still a 66% chance that the shooter is black. It says, depending on how many mass shooters are black, Sailor's Law of Mass Shootings may or may not be fact. Nevertheless, a weaker version of Sailor's Law is fact. If injuries are greater than fatalities, then the chance of the shooter being black increases. They wrapped up and said, of course we have to wonder, why are whites so good at mass shootings compared to black people? I have some speculations, but I'll let you guess for yourself. Unquote. Now what's of course the dimension that they're not taking into consideration here? The fact that shootings are fake, that that is a variable in this equation. They're assuming that all shootings are fake, quote-unquote mass shootings. This isn't true. In fact, if I were to create a new law, I'm not sure what I would call it, Brooks's Law, let's call it that, shall we? Let's make ourselves famous and we'll call it Brooks's Law. Brooks's Law states that if it's a fake shooting, The chances of there being multiple dead, zero wounded, and the shooter also dying would indicate that it's a fake shooting. How's that sound? Let's go with that one. Again, frankly, that actually kind of blows up the entire theory with the Buffalo thing. Or the Buffalo thing blows up my theory, one of the two. 
Again, I saw that footage from, from Buffalo. It didn't look real. I went over it step by step here on the show. It, it, looked, it looked embarrassing. So I, I would even add another element to it, which is that, yes, the shootings are fake, but one of the, one of the elements in fake shootings that most of these Masons and the people that put these together, of course, remarkably evil, but the people that put them together, which, let's face it, is government, when they do that, they almost have to count on the so-called shooter not being alive. But in the Buffalo case, you allegedly still had this person. Again, the person walked out of the grocery store after allegedly killing people where there was no blood. And there were just people falling down before they were even shot, which, again, suspicious. But as all of that was happening, the person just walked out and then just gave up. So again. Was the entire thing an absolute script? Did they have to arrest a white person in one of these so-called shootings and make sure that that person was alive, even though maybe no one died, in order to, again, send a particular kind of message or try to blow up these, these particular philosophical laws of mass shootings? It's possible. I don't know. I think it's interesting. Again, the only other mass shooting that I can think of that made the news that had anything to do with a black American had to do with, uh, what was that in? St. Louis? Maybe a year ago or so? Uh, you know, that, that, that was beyond suspicious. We didn't see the individual's face. It was an art school in, in St. Louis. There was allegedly a gun going off. There were alleged victims. We never saw the victims. We never saw any, any footage of anything of any kind. We saw some what looked like crisis actors, uh, you know, kids acting like they were upset, but they weren't. That was an odd situation. And again, what happened with that shooter? Does anybody even remember? Again, how about Iowa from last month? What happened with that individual? Are they really in jail? Did they shoot themselves? Are they dead? I mean, I forget how that entire thing wrapped up. Again, where, where's the surveillance footage? Are we talking with the parents of the kid who allegedly did the shooting, who was allegedly a 17-year-old when they looked like they were at least 35? It's beyond weird. But I just think that the element that, again, this article and, and this particular author didn't take into consideration is that there are school shootings that aren't real. So there you go. Okay. I'll tell you what. I'll actually end with this. This is kind of hilarious, and uh, <laughs> let's, let's end with a little levity, shall we? And I'm going to ask a real serious question regarding this story. I'm sure you heard of this. Uh, it's beyond funny, I think. But let's ask ourselves whether or not this Penn State professor was jabbed or not. Is this prion disease taking hold? Is this person going crazy because they're jabbed? It's quite possible. But I don't think anybody's brought that up as, as a possible scenario or a reason for this actually occurring. I'm not saying it is the reason. I'm just saying it, it certainly could be. This is from statecollege.com. This was last week also. Penn State professor facing more charges for lewd acts, indecent exposure in state forest. It says a Penn State professor accused last year of committing lewd acts with a dog in, uh, in a state forest is facing more charges. Yes, that's right. He was having sex with a dog. Video retrieved during the investigation shows, oh, they've got video of this too, 64-year-old Themis 
Matt Saukas, if I'm saying that right, of State College, walking around and climbing nude, masturbating and defecating in public areas of Rothrock State Forest in Huntingdon County, state lease campus and private property, according to an affidavit of probable cause filed Monday by the State Department of Conservation and Natural Resources. About 55 videos recorded by this guy in May and June of 2023 were found during a search of his iPad after his initial arrest. A DCNR ranger wrote, Many of the videos allegedly depict the chemical engineering professor engaging in criminal behavior. The videos show this guy nude or nude from the waist down while wearing a ski mask, which investigators say that they found during a search of his residence. (laughs) I mean, the image that 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 produces in your mind. Good Lord. It goes on, as you would expect, (laughs) and it says that he was seen in videos masturbating on a picnic table and porches at lease camp buildings, on DCNR vehicles, and in a lake. According to an affidavit, he was observed inserting a tree branch, a lollipop, and a control handle of a DCNR John Deere crawler in his anus during several videos, the ranger wrote. He's also accused of defecating on a lease camp property and in a maintenance area next to DCNR equipment, as well as smearing bodily fluid on a glass table at a lease camp. The videos were recorded at the Allen Seeger Picnic Area and Maintenance Area in Jackson Township, four lease camps and two private properties surrounded by state forest land, according to the affidavit. The professor did not have permission to enter the private property, or lease camps, and would peer into buildings to ensure that no one was there, the ranger wrote. While in public areas, he clothed himself and acted casually when he heard others approaching, according to the affidavit, (laughs) when he wasn't having sex with a tractor. Good God. He's charged with two felony counts, each of burglary and criminal trespass, six misdemeanor counts of indecent exposure, two misdemeanor counts of open lewdness, two misdemeanor counts of disorderly conduct, and six summary counts of disorderly conduct for obscene gestures. Preliminary hearing is scheduled for February 21st. My God. And of course, he's been arrested for such things before as it says, specifically having sex with a dog. Uh, And on that note, ladies and gentlemen, why not? The guy's got to be jabbed, doesn't he? I mean, I know there's weird-ass people out there, but he's got to be jabbed. (laughs) Amazing. I wonder if that's in the Pfizer documents. I wonder if all of those signs and symptoms are uh, a part of informed consent. By the way, you take the jabs, you might find yourself having sex with a tractor or trying to have sex or actually having sex with animals. <laughs> I'm going to guess that Pfizer's left that out of their documentation. What do you think? Okay. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to go take a shower. Uh, yuck. Anyway, I'll catch you on Wednesday.
Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.